Hey there, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Redeemed Through His Blood. My name's Scott Durfee, joined as always by our great teacher and friend. And uh, I kind of got chastised last week when I called him my uncle, but he's still my uncle. Yeah. David yep. Durfee. Hey, Dave, what's up? Yeah, I like being a, an uncle to, let's see, uh, 34 nieces and nephews. That's just on one side, right? Yeah. That's yeah, that's just on the Just Durfee on the Durfee side. side. Yeah. Yeah. Uncle to 34 on the Durfee side. I don't even know how many there are on my Terry side. Anyway, Scott, it's good to be here. You look you look good. You've been to Israel. Yeah. You don't have uh, any suntan? or No, the sun in- wasn't uh, in very much abundance in Israel. It was a little bit chilly. Uh, we got rained on really hard, actually. Um, one day when we were overlooking the road to Jericho. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of crazy. Wow. It was raining hard. That's that's a scary road, too. And the, exactly, and we were in a big bus. I I, I kept wondering if oh, they were going to have me get out and lock in the hubs on that big bus, put it in four-wheel drive. But <laughs> Were you going from Jerusalem down to Jericho? We were actually had been or, in um, near the uh, uh, Dead Sea and was going up. You were going up. Yeah. Yeah, that's what we did, too. Yeah, was going up. And I was remember, a, I was for some reason, I was standing in the, in the stair kind of thing of the bus. Uh-huh. When we were going up there, I don't know, I can't remember why, I think because my sweetheart has has motion sickness and she was sitting with another wife in the front and so I was standing, that whole thing. (laughs) Honestly, Scott, I can vividly remember, and I kind of have a fear of heights, I can remember looking out that door (laughs) and seeing nothing. You know, I mean, the the bus would go around some of those curves, yeah. and oh, the yeah. wheels yeah. are barely on that road, I know. and the the bumper of the bus is actually <laughs> over the cliff. It was quite <laughs> quite an experience. We had a couple of those. Uh, That's how I remember it. At least, like that. yeah, that, it was like that, and it was raining. And there were these cute little shepherd kids. They, as soon as they saw the bus, yeah. man, they came running with a handful of bracelets and necklaces. To sell you. But they had a scarf. Bakshish. What's that? Bakshish. I remember them yelling out, Bakshish. You know, for a buck, you can buy this. Bakshish. For a buck, you can yeah. buy that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, it was kind of fun. So we bought, you know, a scarf, and it, that didn't really help, and it smelled quite badly until I got it back and got it rinsed out. <laughs> but I had a, a, a an old umbrella that we had given away uh, as kind of a swag at one of the events I did for work, and I hadn't opened it. And we get there, a brand-new umbrella, and, and I go to open it, and it won't open. It won't latch. And so um, Deb ended up giving that to one of the cute little oh, cool kids and yeah i don't know what they're gonna do with it but you didn't go to egypt did you we did not we went to jordan i remember the children in egypt wow that was so so tender in cairo uh you know the one of the uh, biggest oldest slums yeah that's why i think where that word comes from is from cairo and you you get out there and you, you honestly the children and if and if you just take a stick of gum yeah and give them a piece of gum or we took a, some packages of pencils and you just give them a pencil you would think it was it was better than Christmas morning yeah I it's, think I I remember when Grandma and Grandpa went decades ago they took bags of candy and yeah, gum and stuff candy, like that and, right. Yeah, for that reason, that was interesting. But well, anyway, you had a great experience. Yeah, it was. A, and you came back. Uh, your testimony probably not any stronger, but a little more personal. Well, how would you how I, would I, you summarize I, your experience? Might it might actually be a little deeper, a little stronger. Good. Yeah, I I think I I don't know that. Uh, you know, personal experience. I don't know that I could go walk where Jesus walked and not feel that. I did feel that. There were a couple places in particular. Capernaum was one of those, you know, where I, and I'm getting, you know, cold chills. That's how the, the uh, spirit manifests to me. And I, yeah. I'm getting those right now as I'm saying this. But, you know, we had a really wonderful experience uh, with some people that we met and uh, other experiences in Capernaum. That was amazing. I had a wonderful experience at Magdala uh, that was uh, kind of life changing. Could have had it anywhere, you know, yeah. <laughs> but I had it there. Yeah, that's that's up there on the north uh, shore of, of the Sea of Galilee. Northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, it was just beautiful. It was good to go to the Garden Tomb. I know we had a lot, lot of listeners that were following us. I was posting. Um, 
I didn't post a lot of pictures. I posted pictures that had to do with the podcast and Jesus's awesome. life specifically on Instagram and Facebook nice. while we were there and had a lot of comments. A lot of people followed along there. And uh, <clears throat> so, you know, it, it was cool. It was neat to go to the Garden of uh, Gethsemane. It was neat to go to Golgotha. It was neat to go to uh, the Garden Tomb. That that was uh, that was pretty pretty special. Yeah, but, very. Yeah. Well, that's those are some of the things that we're going to talk about today, Scott. Is it's the week before Easter? We're in Easter week, Holy Week. It, it's, it just seems appropriate that we talk about some of the events of the last week of the Savior's life leading up to Easter. We hope all of our listeners are enjoying the spirit of Easter week. Yeah. I think we do such a great job as Latter-day Saints celebrating Christmas. You know, we make such a big deal out of Christmas, and we really celebrate Christmas with the rest of them. But I have felt for a long time, Scott, that as a church, as a people, that we could do better in celebrating the the week of Easter. And I know the brethren have, have tried to help us with that, and I am so pleased, so happy that President Nelson has made some fundamental new changes in how we commemorate Easter, allowing us to be with our families maybe an extra hour and to, to not give Christmas any more special treatment than we give Easter when it comes to our worship and being with our families and having family time. And I'm really thankful for these positive changes. And and even, even Scott, this seems like a no-brainer, but we, we really haven't done this until the last year or two, that in Sunday school, it, in, in the manual, you know, in the Come Follow Me manual, and I know we're not going to have a Sunday school lesson now, but that wasn't known when they wrote this manual, that the lesson this week would have been if we had Sunday school on Sunday on Easter Sunday, it would have been about Easter. Right. That's honestly, it it just seemed wrong that we could have Easter yeah. Sunday and be talking about uh, Ammon cutting off the arms. <laughs> right. And we wouldn't even. And honestly, you could go to Sunday school years ago and not even talk about the events of Easter. Well, I remember. I remember times when uh, Easter actually fell like on a state conference, and we would hold state conference on an Easter and and do you know, I, I we've we've come a long ways. We've uh, yeah, come and, a long way. And we and we still have ways to go as a as a group of people and as individuals, we still have a ways to go. But you know, Jesus was born on Christmas to accomplish Easter. Yeah. Well, that's President Hinckley. Right. There would be no, no Christmas without Easter. If there was no Easter. And I love that because that's where our focus not just this time of year, but that's where our focus should be every time of year. This every the, week, this every is... time of year we should be focusing on the events of Easter. We do that when we commemorate and partake of the sacrament. True. And so, you know, that should be our focus every time, every week, every year. But to have that in special spotlight this year, I think should be, I know in our ward council, there's been a lot of talk around, we really need to make this Easter sacrament meeting special. And and I'm looking forward to, you know, what will happen there. As you know, the most important thing that can happen there is for us to commemorate Easter by partaking of the sacrament, which we will do. Correct. But, but what if that experience is just a little extra special this week? Well, it doesn't really matter what the church has done or what the church is doing or what the church will do. As Latter-day Saints, we should establish special family traditions around Easter. And I'm not talking about Easter baskets and bunnies or Easter egg hunts. Simple, simple traditions that we celebrate as families when it comes to Easter. Just as simple as, for example, which we're going to do today, as simple as talking about each of the last days of the Savior's life. When you start on Sunday, that's when me and my family will begin to really celebrate Easter, was this past Sunday, mm-hmm. a triumphal Sunday the Sunday that he enters into the city, right? So 
just remembering each day of the week and what happened on that week and reviewing the events and reading a few verses of Scripture about those events, that's, I think, the greatest tradition that can be established. And then, like our good other Christian friends do, who celebrate Lent for 40 days, we could at least maybe for four days before Easter and before the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we should be asking ourselves every day, what can I sacrifice today? What can I give up today? What can I make holy, consecrate, sanctify today? And beginning, be really consciously begin to think about the, the suffering of the Savior and what I can do to be able to receive that gift in my life. So uh, on Easter Sunday, oh my goodness, my favorite tradition on Easter Sunday is just a personal one of getting up really early. I try to get up really early on Easter Sunday because I know Jesus was resurrected really early. And I get up and I read John 20. Just that's been a tradition of mine for years and years. And every time I do it, I feel the Spirit of the Lord bear testimony to me of the reality of the resurrection. And I, I just think simple, easy things like that, which may require some sacrifice, definitely maybe some planning, can really make a difference in how we enjoy the events and the sacred nature of this holy week. While we were in Jerusalem last week, uh, that this was on my mind the whole week. And, and so I'm anxious today to kind of wander back there in our yeah. minds, right? And, and go through the, uh, the events that, of that holy week. Uh, I, I listened to a podcast actually yesterday while I was at the gym on the events of the Holy Week. Did a great job uh, of talking about the things that happened there. You know, hopefully we'll be able to accomplish that as well. But, you know, as we as we do this and kind of go back and think about those events of the week, it would help us to put ourselves there. You know, we, we talk about the things that are so important for us, you know, to come to know him, to love him, to learn to be like him. And this is our coming to know him. And if we can go to where he was, you know, and we, our invitation so often, every, every week, really, our invitation is, is when he says, come in me, where's he asking us to come? Well, he's asking us to come to the events of the atonement of Jesus Christ. Well, this triumphal entry in this entire holy week is one of those. And I, I, I'm really looking forward to this. Right. Come unto me, stand at the foot of the cross. Find a little corner in the Garden of Gethsemane and and uh, with the eye of faith, see my suffering. Right. Th- that's, you know, really, Scott, it is, as Elder Holland has taught us, it is the suffering Christ that we worship. And it is the living Christ that is the greatest symbol of our faith. So I, I, I think it's, uh, you know, that's President Hinckley that it's the living Christ that is the symbol of our faith. That's why we don't use the, the cross as the symbol of our faith. And yet it's so important to remember that it is the suffering Christ in Gethsemane and everything between Gethsemane and the time that he allows his life to be laid down and it's finished and he dies on the cross. I, I hope our listeners will be thinking about that this week, about the atonement uh, and the suffering beginning in Gethsemane and not ending there, but in fact even becoming uh, even more excruciating in many ways on the cross because he doesn't have any angels to comfort him and even the Father withdraws his presence. But uh, I, I hope that our listeners can kind of see the suffering Christ, but also the living Christ as part of this uh, Holy Week. Well, um, it's interesting that on, uh, we were talking about Jericho on Friday, probably of the last week, this past Friday, since this is Easter week, Jesus uh, goes to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And uh, it's interesting to me, Scott, that he makes that, oh, I don't know, what is it, a three, four thousand 
foot elevation change. I mean, Jericho's one. I think Jericho's the lowest city in the world, six hundred feet well, below zero. Yeah, uh, the I know that the uh, uh, below zero, six hundred feet below sea level. Below sea level. Yeah, <laughs> but he, it's it's just. I think it's uh, instructive. Jesus could have come to pass over in many different ways. He could have, he could have gone through Samaria again on his way down to Jerusalem. But he kind of goes along the Jordan River, and he goes to this low point. And I, I think it's somewhat symbolic of the whole week of going from this uh, low point to this high point, and then back again. So he, he comes from Galilee, and he comes down along the Jordan River and uh, Jericho, and then goes up to the mountain. I mean, Jerusalem really does set in the top of a mountain. We, we, we talk about that, that but I, I think it's really hard to picture it unless you go there. And you, you see the, the city uh, on the hill, which is, is Jerusalem. So as he comes up there, he decides, he's been invited, I'm sure, to stay with um, Mary and Martha, sisters, and Lazarus, their brother. In Bethany. In Bethany. Just probably about six miles southeast. He goes there to stay with them. It's it's Saturday. This is probably, and by the way, as we talk about these last events of the Savior's last week of his life, mortal life, um, we should remember that there are lots of different timelines. None of the chronology is perfect. Uh, these events, it's speculated by some, happened on, on different days. But the ones that we'll talk about, I think, are kind of the general accepted days and events and in the sequence that they took place. Most people, I believe, accept the fact that Mary anointed Jesus in Bethany on Saturday and that spikenard ointment and and that was uh, sacred kind of precluding his his death and resurrection to begin the holy week and then on sunday which is the fifth day before passover now and by the way we have such great tools on this scott in our lds bible in the 2013 edition if you go in the back of the bible in the appendix, uh, 766, page number 766, I think you can begin to look at these events, and you can write down uh, where it says sixth day before Passover, you can write down uh, Saturday. Then in, the, in your margin, you can write down the fifth day of Passover, where it says triumphal entry, and you can go down to where it says the fourth day before Passover and write Monday in your margin. Uh, you can also do that on your phone, on your LDS app. If you are using a, a Bible dictionary before 2013, it's in the Bible dictionary under, under chronology, the chronology of the Gospels. In fact, it's under Gospels, sorry. It's under Gospels, a chronology. So depending on which Bible you're using, you should use these tools, and maybe this would be a great tradition. I, I guess I, I'm... I do that every every year. I always re- review the last week and events of the Savior's life. That would be a new tradition for our listeners to review these events. So on Sunday, he makes this triumphal entry. We call it Triumphal uh, Sunday and Palm Sunday. Uh, he the People lay down their palm leaves as... A sign of royalty, like rolling out the red carpet. He rides into Jerusalem on a white donkey, a symbol of being the second David. This is how David was coronated king by riding a white donkey into Jerusalem. And Jesus kind of reenacts that, comes in, and people were hailing him as the king of the Jews. And such a great celebration, Scott. And it's, again, from such a high to such, by the end of the week, such a low, and then such a high again on Sunday when he's resurrected. And it's kind of like going up and down the Jericho Road. The highs and lows of this week are pretty astonishing. I like how you put that. hadn't really thought of that before or heard of that, but uh, I really like how you put that. Just another 
uh, maybe comment, you know, Jesus rides in on a donkey. And, uh, you know, me being a horse guy, I'm thinking, and why wouldn't Jesus ride in on an Arabian horse? <laughs> you know, <laughs> Durfies Ara- have always loved Arabians. <laughs> Arabian horse um, would have been around then, yeah. right? And it yeah. would have been a symbol of yeah. uh, of a lot of great things. But and I've heard this. You know, that's the, uh, kings when they were in peace would ride in on donkeys. This donkey was a symbol of peace, where the horse was a symbol mm. of war yeah. and conflict, etc. So, I, I just a little insight, you know, that I yeah. thought was kind the of humility, important. right? I humility that was kind and of meekness, important. right? Well, that that's sweet. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So he he comes in on Sunday. Uh, some th- think that maybe it's on Sunday. Some think that it's on Monday. That uh, and again at night. Let's keep in mind Jesus is spending his evenings with the the family of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, Lazarus, who he brought back from the dead. And there is a conspiracy among the Jews, by the way, that because that happened a short time before, just months before this final week, that Lazarus was brought forth out of the tomb, and uh, there's a conspiracy to kill Lazarus. Yeah. Because he is the greatest evidence, physical evidence, of the power of Jesus Christ and the witness that he is the Son of God and has power over life and over death. Yeah. So there's this conspiracy to kill Lazarus, and that's where Jesus is staying in the evenings. But I think it was on Monday, some say Sunday. We don't know the exact timing of these events. Jesus goes to the temple, and uh, there at the temple, again, we know he did this the first Passover when he began his ministry, when he was 30. Now, again, the last Passover he spends in Jerusalem, and I think maybe every Passover he was in Jerusalem, he does the same thing, because I don't think, we know he went to Jerusalem probably every Passover, and I can't imagine that if he cast out the money changers and the animals the first Passover and the last Passover that he was there, I can't imagine why he wouldn't do that the other Passovers. Yeah, right. So they see him coming again, and he casts out the money changers and 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 uh, cries repentance to the people for um, not treating his father's house with the reverence and respect that that he knows that they should. So he cleanses the temple. And that's, I think that's such a powerful lesson, object lesson for us of not only his respect for his father and his father's house and for the ordinances and the the symbol of the holy temple, but it's kind of the way he, he does it with the discipline that he shows, especially as it's recorded in John regarding the first time he cast them out, where he takes time to cord a whip, and he takes time to t- take the animals who are in cages and hands them to somebody. He, he doesn't come in kicking and screaming. He does it in a very orderly, very disciplined sort of way. But the the object lesson that I get out of this is that there's just some times where you say, you have to say to our children and to those that we love that you need to respect this. <laughs> you have to respect this. And I'm not going to tolerate it if you don't. So I I just think it's important that we see that part of the character of Jesus and his love for his father, his love and respect for his father, reverence. So after he cleanses the temple um, and uh, goes back to Bethany on on Monday, uh, he curses, I think, a fig tree. And uh, again, the timing, I'm not exactly sure if this is Monday or Tuesday, but he curses a fig tree. And that fig tree becomes a great symbol of uh, hypocrisy because he sees this fig tree. It's, it's uh, showing great leaves, but apparently there's not a lot of blossoms. It's in the spring of the year. It's not bearing fruit. 
and uh, he condemns it. And he talks about it as not only being a symbol of maybe the second coming, that you'll see the leaves on the trees and the signs of the times, but that also that it's a, as Elder James E. Talmage teaches in Jesus the Christ, that he uses it, that he curses it. This is the only thing, Scott, that we know of that Jesus curses and it dies during his mortal mission and and um, ministry. Everything else he's healing, he's bringing things back from the grave or from life, back to life. But this, this fig tree he, he curses. And um, 12 hours or 24 hours later, as the disciples come back and they see the... Uh, the tree, they're amazed that it has wilted and died. Hypocrisy. That Jesus does not want hypocrisy. There is nothing that Jesus hates more. This is just my conclusion, Scott. There's nothing that Jesus hates more than hypocrisy, than self-righteousness. And it's on Tuesday when he goes again to the temple and he lets the Pharisees and the Sadducees just have it. He he calls them out. He calls them whited sepulchers. He really he really uh, condemns their hypocrisy. And I've I've always uh, that's always left an impression to me about the the need for us to be aware that we are never self righteous or hypocritical in our beliefs and that we try to live according to our beliefs and not be hypocrites. So he condemns them, gives some of the greatest uh, sermons, really, or parables um, of his whole ministry on Tuesday. I think he gives like six parables. Right. To include, for example, the parable of the two sons. Yes. The wicked husbandman. The ten virgins. Yeah, yeah. The, the wedding of King's son. Right. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. The, the the parable of the sheep and the goats, the right. parable of the talents. He gives these six these six parables. Uh, some of his best, really, some of his best teaching occurs on Tuesday, just a few days before he begins to suffer for the sins of the world. At some point, he goes up to the to the top of the Mount of Olive. Olivet, and he's sitting there. I like you, you were there. Oh, yeah. That was a great place, too. You know, from there, and I thought about this. I thought about his experiences there. But from there, you look, um, and you will see in the distance, not that far distance, but the city of Jerusalem. Right. right? There's the southern wall, the sheep's gate. They changed. They thought it was interesting that the Romans changed the sheep's gate name to the lion's gate. But, uh, but uh, you know, right there. And, and from there, interestingly enough, too, you're overlooking to, you know, as you're facing Jerusalem to the right, you'll see a part of the Kidron Valley coming in. Right. Right. You'll right. see the, uh, the, uh, the road to judgment. You'll see the valley of death right below there. Right. A- and you see, the, see all those graves to the to the far left and just outside of the city of, of Jerusalem there. You would that that would be have been the city of David. And so this is the setting. Where and just Jesus below, is right now. just below you at the foot, very foot of the Mount of Olives is the, is Garden, the Garden of, of Gethsemane. Gethsemane. Today, over to the to the right of you, right to the north of you. As you're sitting on the, you see on Mount Scopus, the BYU. Yeah, the Jerusalem, Jerusalem Center. Center. We actually got went to the sacrament meeting there. It was quite an experience. Awesome. Yeah. You see the Dome of the Rock. Yeah. Where, yep. where it's believed that Abraham uh, took his son Isaac to sacrifice right. him, keeping the commandment of the Father. And you pitch, you can picture all of that from the Mount of Olives. Yeah. Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives, no doubt contemplating everything that's happened in that valley. And as he looks over the Jerusalem, cries out, you know. Oh, Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Yeah. How I would have gathered you yep. as a hen her chicks. Yep. But you would, would not. not. <sighs> that's That's powerful. Yeah. I'm sure, and Jesus contemplating what, what they could have had, should have had, would have had, and then to contemplate what he was going to do, what he had to do, what he was willing to do out of love for those people. 
that that must have been one of the most um, tender moments in the life of the Savior. I love that uh, love that painting of Jesus on the mount, yeah, I contemplating do too. those events. Well, that's that's on Tuesday. On Wednesday, we don't know of really anything Jesus did on Wednesday. Um, probably spent the day with his family, with his loved ones. We don't know how many were there in the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus in Bethany, but we know that many disciples were there. Uh, his mother, maybe other family members were there. And that he would have maybe spent this last day in the most intimate setting with his closest friends and his family, which is really sweet to think about. Then on, he's told his disciples to go in and to make arrangements and tells them exactly how it's going to happen and, and how they can find a place where they can uh, celebrate the Passover, and, uh, which we now call where they could conduct the Last Supper and where Jesus uh, initiates or institutes the, the sacrament. So on Thursday, sometime uh, late in the afternoon, they go into the city of Jerusalem, and they go to the upper room. Did you go to the upper room? Yeah, we did. Now, the upper room, the original, is not there. Yeah. It was, everything in Jerusalem was torn down by the Romans in 70 A.D., so you really don't walk where Jesus walked, and you don't really stand where Jesus stand. But it's really close. Yeah. Right? It's really yeah. close. And it's it's awesome that they have relocated a place. The Christian community uh, have located a place where they believe the upper room where it was located, and you go there. And what experience did you have there? Yeah, that was an incredible experience, too. Uh, I know Deb and I both, as we walked in there, it was kind of sombering. It's a big room. Pillars, yep. arches. Yep. Yeah, and, and you know, and I don't know that it would have looked like that. It was a bigger room, but I don't, again, and, you know, traditional sites, right? This right. is the traditional site. And, you know, how do they come about the traditional site? There's a lot of theory, a lot of ways that they've done that. It doesn't matter, you know. the 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 point is, is that when you're in a room like that, and we're talking about the things that we would talk about in there, the the you know beginning of the sacrament, right. you know how Jesus uh, talked about it, and how he also um, um, said that he would be betrayed there, uh, and uh, it was just a neat experience to be there. And I took I've taken the sacrament since I've been home, and now. When I partake of the sacrament, I kind of go back in my mind's Absolutely. eye to that place mm-hmm. where it was first brought forth. And, and well, and, and it was a great experience for me this past Sunday as I did that, because while I was there in my mind's eye, there was just something a little more tangible than, than I had had before about Absolutely. partaking of the sacrament, Dave. It was cool. Absolutely. And you mentioned one of your favorite places was Capernaum. Yeah. And and that's where he gave the great sermon on the bread of life. Right. And John 6, and he talks about the flesh being the bread of life. So uh, definitely, you, 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 when you go there to Jerusalem, the Holy Land, and you have those experiences and visit those places, when you partake of the sacrament and you're trying to remember and think about the Savior's atoning sacrifice, it, it does, it, it's a little more vivid, for sure. Well, in this upper room, some amazing events take place there. John records, you know, John, who is really writing to members of the church, about a third of his writings, at least a fourth of his writings, is about the experience in the upper room. Mm. It, it, there's several of his chapters are focused upon the teachings and the events of the upper room. Mm. It's, it's so, it's so interesting that he records that he talks about himself, you know, being the one who tried to get really close to Jesus in that experience. And, and, uh, anyway, the teachings of those chapters are, something that should be contemplated and read, I believe, on Thursday, at least some of them, the, the teachings of uh, peace I 
leave with you my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth. I I love those chapters and love to contemplate the, the events that took place in in the upper room. And one of those events was the washing of the feet, which is so interesting because to me, because Judas was there and Jesus wanted to wash Judas's feet. I don't, none of us can really judge Judas. Judas is, is a little bit of an enigma, I think, in the Gospels. Um, some people call him betrayer, but he's never called that in the Scriptures. Um, I, I don't really, we really don't know what to quite think, at least I don't, of, of Judas. But it was obvious that Jesus loved him and wanted to wash his feet. And, and washes all of the disciples' feet. A really sacred ordinance, Scott. It's, it's not something that I think should be taken lightly or tried to be duplicated by anyone in a Sunday school class or otherwise. I think it's a really sacred ordinance that has deeper meaning than we can talk about. But uh, after that happens, he actually gives Judas the opportunity to leave and to go do his his deed uh, and to get the silver and to make arrangements to identify Jesus in the garden of gethsemane and kind of sell him off to the I think I think Judas Scott thought that Jesus could would deliver himself yeah. or something I yeah. I don't know I just don't know but I well, know I know that he knew after it had happened and he saw that his his um, choices had caused Jesus so much suffering and that it was not going to be reversed and Jesus was not going to choose to deliver himself. Judas went out just south of the city of Jerusalem and uh, commits suicide, kills himself. So... Anyway, but back to the upper room, and Jesus initiates that that sacrament and tells them that, uh, you know, this is my flesh and this is my blood, and to remember me. And they he teaches them, again, about the comforters, this first comforter, the second comforter. He offers an intercessory prayer, which is amazing, right? John 17 we should probably try to read that this week. Amazing, that prayer, that we may all be one as we are one, Father, he prays. Anyway, and then, this is, you know, I know this is one of your favorite scriptures, Scott, is, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Yep. John seventeen three. that's where he makes that statement, is in the upper room. And then they sing a hymn. They sing a hymn. This is about 9 p.m., 8.30, probably 8, 8.30. And after they sing a hymn, they walk over Thursday night to a spot where that he has identified called the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane meaning the oil press, the place of the oil press. This was where all of the sins would be pressed down upon him, all of the sins of the world, where olives were crushed, where olive oil was made as the, the olives, in, in, including this, the hard pit, olive pit, were crushed, and olive oil would ooze out of these vats, crushed by these huge rocks, that would roll around these vats pulled by donkeys. Did you see that? Yeah, you know, I want to add some uh, insight here too because we did. Uh, it's called a millstone, and it, the, the stone that crushes the olives, and it's big, uh, a ton maybe. You know, and, You're right. And it would, it would, it would um, require an animal uh, right. or several very strong men, but slowly. an animal is what they would use, and they would just slowly turn that. Well, they would crush all of the olive. Everything and there's some imagery here. I want you if you're if you're beginning listeners if you're beginning to 
imagine some imagery, we'll continue with it because this is very important. Um, and, and as that happens, the oil from the olive oozes out. Right. And as it oozes out, it, they put that, that uh, into a basket. It's a, a collapsible type of basket. Mm-hmm. Well, then it goes into a press. And, the, and it, that ratcheted press applies, I don't know, thousands of pounds of pressure perhaps. And there's three different types of olive oil, right? You have the virgin oil that you use for cooking and so mm-hmm. forth. That comes first. And then you have the other that's for oil lamps or you know, and other things. And then finally, the, uh, the final one. Well, it's interesting how that in order to get everything out of the olive, it has to go through three presses. And, and while Jesus was in, mm-hmm. right, at the Mount of Olives mm-hmm. in Gethsemane, again, meaning the olive press, when, when he was there, he prayed three times and was pressed three times mm-hmm. to go through what he went through to also get from him everything that needed to be gotten mm-hmm. in order for the redemption of all mankind to be set forth. Three times and for three hours. Right. He was there from nine until midnight on Thursday night. Yeah. So I, I don't know, our dear friends, brothers and sisters, I don't know where you're going to be Thursday night, but we should definitely be thinking or doing something to remember yeah. Gethsemane on Thursday night as we celebrate these events of Easter where blood would ooze from every pore, so great would be his anguish for the sins of his people. And as Latter-day Saints, we've talked about this, the special beliefs and understanding that uh, we have received because of the restoration of the gospel, knowing that Jesus bled from every pore. That's not in the Bible, Nobody else believes that. Luke comes the closest to describing it when in Luke 22, verse 44, he says, His sweat was, as it were, like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And Joseph Smith actually changed that in the JST. He sweat great drops of blood. But no one else understands him bleeding from every pore. So great was his anguish. And it was so great that an angel came to strengthen him. I love the imagery, you know, given to us by Elder McConkie that that angel was Adam. Mm -hmm. And here is Adam who brought sin into the world, and he's trying to comfort Jesus. Was, Was, did Adam say anything? What, what could Adam possibly say to Jesus to try to comfort him? Yeah. Did he say, I'm sorry? Did, I mean, what could he possibly say? The one who brought the sin into the world, trying to comfort he who is paying for all the sins of the world. Yeah. Adam was there, the angel was there on special assignment from Heavenly Father. Mm. Not sure words words would have ever even need to be spoken because of that special assignment. I mean, that, that Jesus would have been able to transcend any of that mortal communication to fill that support. And without that support, I don't even know. First off, I don't even know what it would have been like with that support. Yeah. But without that support, uh, would it have mm. been undoable, unbearable? Total spiritual death. Yeah. But Michael, Adam, the archangel, trying to comfort Jesus, these two created the worlds together. Right. And, uh, you know, no doubt, so close in their relationship. It just seems um, really special and sweet to me that about that experience. And I love all of the artist's different renditions that paint the angel in Gethsemane. I have one that I'm thinking of right now. It's my favorite. I don't even know who the painter is, the artist, but Jesus laid out. He's just laid out. And this is an important part, I think, of Gethsemane that we need to appreciate is he's not serenely kneeling at a rock. Now, maybe he started out that way, but Matthew describes it pretty starkly that he was laid out fell on his face he fell on his face yeah 
that when he prayed, he fell on his face. He was laid out. Yeah. And I love, again, how the Bible videos that the church has made has shown him going after three hours of suffering, bleeding from every pore, and before the Roman guards come to arrest him, that he goes to the Kidron Brook and cleans himself up after all of that. And then keep in mind, everyone, we've talked about this recently, everything after Gethsemane is going to be exponentially more painful because of what he suffered in Gethsemane. He is now, because of bleeding from every pore, a human bruise. Totally bruised. Bruised for our iniquities. Bruised and broken. As Isaiah clearly describes it. Bruised for our iniquities. Any touch, even a kiss on the cheek, is going to be painful. Just to touch him, to slap him, to do any of that is going to be more painful because his entire body has been bruised and he is now dehydrated and all of that is going to be with him until he dies on the cross the next day, Friday at 3 p.m. So after three hours of suffering in Gethsemane, he's arrested and he's first taken to the uh, high priest Annas who's kind of retired and then he goes over to his, I think, son-in-law, Caiaphas. This is where he goes through the mockery of a trial, is the house of Caiaphas. That's where they slap him. They spit on him. I don't know why that kills me so much, but uh, just they, they totally abuse him and uh, mock him and come up with false witnesses and finally decide they're going to take him to Pilate and accuse him of sedition. And early in the morning, that's the, they do. They take him to Pilate. Peter, in the meantime, has... Again, I don't know. We need to be kind to Peter. I don't know if we really know all of the, all of the reasons why, the motives, or what's really going on with the denials, three denials of Peter. But, but anyway, they, they take uh, Jesus... Uh, after the mockery of a trial all night long, which breaks their own law, the the Jews, the Jews, the Sanhedrin takes him to Pilate, and uh, Pilate doesn't understand why the Jews want him dead so bad. And Pilate's wife's had a dream, and she warns Pilate. Pilate finally says to the Jews, "Hey, it's Passover. We can let a prisoner go free. I offer you Jesus, who I find to be innocent." Or Barabbas. And Barabbas, it's recorded in the scriptures, not only a thief, but a murderer. Yeah. One of the worst. Yeah, he's a he's yeah. a capital criminal. Yep. So who who do you I mean this is this is Pilate's attempt. And they the San, led by the Sanhedrin and the self righteous hypocrites begin to chant, you know, crucify speaking him. of Jesus, crucify yeah. him, crucify yep. him. Yep. And Barabbas is freed. I, I wonder whatever happened to Barabbas. After I don't know. I, I really wonder if Barabbas ever converted or whatever happened to. to I'm going to say him. he did. Oh, I, I just don't know how. It, it, it's and it's I interesting. It's it. Yeah, and it's all speculation. Obviously, I don't know any more than anybody else. But, but I think it's interesting. You know, Barabbas. That name, Bar. Son, yes. Yeah. Right. Abba. Yes, father, I know. the son of the father. So the son of God was released right. and set Thank free you, because of what the real son of God was about to go through. And so mm. Christ even gave his life for that son of God. I right. think it's interesting and, and it, it probably a perspective that would serve us to contemplate for a minute around that. Yes. Because, you know, oftentimes it's easy for us like you said, to cast stones at Peter. Why did Peter do that? What's wrong with him? It's also easy for us to see these other characters in the Bible with, uh, you know, tainted lenses. And, you know, we see that with Barabbas. There's no question. There was a capital criminal here. But it's interesting how Christ even gave his life for him. Yes, right. <laughs> yeah. And and we don't know the events no. of, of Barabbas's murder or... You know, we we don't know that. It doesn't matter. Jesus, it it could, doesn't matter. It, it could Jesus, have been hor- horrendous. Jesus died for him. Jesus freed him. I, I mean, 
physically and maybe spiritually. Who knows? I, I mean, I know that we we all know that there's are sins that are unforgivable. And murder, first degree murder is one of them. But there's many different degrees of murder. And, and, it, it, and it doesn't matter. Jesus suffered for even the worst murders and even the sons of perdition. Right. He suffered for all the sins of all the world. And everyone's going to know. After their death and resurrection and the final judgment, they're going to know. Yeah. Jesus suffered for you. Yeah. And they still won't receive it, the sons of perdition. They still won't receive it. But every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Christ and that he suffered for them. Yeah. And that they caused him suffering. They'll know that. Well, anyway, uh, he he's scourged. Pilate turns him over to the Jews, and he, the Roman guards scourge him. They put on the, the 150, 200-pound cross on his back. He's walking up to the hill of Golgotha. He collapses. Simeon's appointed. I like to think maybe volunteered to come and carry the cross the rest of the way. And at, by 9 a.m., it's all from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m., uh, and then at 9 a.m., he is crucified. Right. Crucified. It's really important that we not under-appreciate what the cross represents, even though it is not the symbol of our faith. It's important that we understand that Jesus himself chooses to focus on the cross Six times in the Doctrine and Covenants, and only once in the Doctrine and Covenants does he focus on Gethsemane. He focuses on the cross when he teaches his disciples in the Americas. In Third Nephi 27, he says, I was lifted upon the cross that I might draw all men unto me. His focus is on the cross. We need to do more to appreciate what happened on Good Friday and appreciate Good Friday for us, bad for him. What happened on the cross on Friday? From 9 until noon, he makes some statements. He talks to these two thieves that he's hung in the middle of. Yeah. He acknowledges his mother and John, behold thy mother. He says to John and mother, behold thy son. He's thinking of others. He's always thinking of others, Scott even up until his worst moment. I want to back up for just a second. Um, you know, Jesus uh, carried the cross with the assistance, but whether by a Simon or volunteer, we don't know for sure, by Simon. Um, and, and, you know, we were there again. Going, you walked it. We walked, the, not the entire thing, but it's called the Via Dolorosa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that road, the Via Dol- Dolorosa, would have been part of the... the uh, 13 points. The... Uh, the uh, path that Christ took as he was being forced to go carry his cross to Golgotha. Well, uh, and uh, listeners, you probably saw, for those of you who uh, were following in Instagram and Facebook, Deb and I took a picture under the sign that said Via Dolorosa. Mm-hmm. And, and as we walked up that, Deb and I had kind of a really tender conversation. You know, we imagined what would it have been like mm-hmm. to be here Mm-hmm. on that uh, that night that day of good friday right that morning as that was taking place what would that have been like what would have our posture been what would our have our attitude been towards all that right now you and then you talk about um you just talked about being hung between two thieves and that's an interesting story as well one of the thieves turns to jesus and he says hey i thought you were god get us down from here yeah save us what's wrong you know, if you're who you say you are, get us down from here. The other one speaks across Jesus, and he says, dude, shut up. Leave him alone. Leave him alone. This is the Savior. This is, And, you know, and he kind of bore his t- We belong here. Right. We did our duty, yep. to, or we did what was wrong, and we're here. He did nothing to be here. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus turns to him and t- tells him, today I'll be with you in paradise, right. you know. Right. Just, uh, just so beautiful. The different types of, you know, one of the things last week we talked in in uh, our institute class, we talked about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which was awesome because we had just had that experience in Jerusalem. But you know, I I think that one of the things that we sometimes 
can do to enhance our experience around all of this is to put ourselves in those situations. Mm -hmm. What would have been my role there? What would my attitude have been there? Would I have been one that was sympathetic to the Jews or the Romans? Would I have been one that was more like Simon? I hope I would have been. And, And, you know, but to contemplate that, and then here's the cool thing, David, we can make that assessment and then we can adjust you know, we, if, we mm-hmm. t- if we make a, a, a real assessment about what would have my role been there, and it would be, and if that assessment's just a little bit out of keeping with mm-hmm. what you would want it to be, because mm-hmm. of what he did there, you can change that. Mm-hmm. And you can make it different. Yeah, that's powerful. That would affect us right here, right now. Well, I, I believe we should try to do that this week as we read and study these events, Scott. We should try to see ourselves there with an eye of faith. Yeah. And what, how would have I responded? What role could yeah. I have played? Yeah. And to witness it, to be eyewitnesses, eye of faith, witnesses. Right, yeah. Well, at 12 noon on the cross, after hanging there for three hours, all hell breaks loose. And sometime between noon and three, uh, the veil of the temple is rent. There's an earthquake. Uh, really, literally, all hell breaks loose. And... The whole earth is under darkness. And for those three hours, the Father has withdrawn his presence. Light has withdrawn, literally, physically. And that Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And for three more hours, Gethsemane intensified. I know we've talked about that several times now. but that I'm, I'm quoting... President Russell M. Nelson, Bruce R. McConkie, and James E. Talmage. There on the cross, Gethsemane was intensified, and he again finishes suffering for all the sins of all the world. Until at 3 p.m., after three hours, he says, it is finished. And he chooses... Once it's finished, the payment has been made. The punishment has been suffered. Uh, the law of justice and the demands of justice have been fulfilled. Jesus dies. They have to hurry. It's Friday afternoon, and the Jewish Sabbath begins Friday at 6 evening or at sundown, and they have to hurry and get Jesus down off that uh, cross and get him in a tomb, which was graciously provided by provided. Joseph of Arimathea. Right, and you went there, and you saw how it had been hewn out. And John talks about that, that, that it was a new tomb, and it had been hewn out. And you, did you go there? Yeah, well, you, we walked right inside of it. Yeah, yeah, right. Walk right inside I, of it. I just really believe that's where it happened, Yeah, and it's still there. I That was one of my most sacred experiences when I was there to see where Jesus, I believe, was was laid in the tomb. And then, uh, so he's he's in the spirit world. And he begins the preaching of the gospel to the spirits in the spirit world. And, uh, wow, what a great day for those for those spirits, including those two thieves after they die, right. which is probably after he dies. Yeah. But anyway, he's in, the, he's in the spirit world for the rest of Friday, for a few hours on Friday, all day Saturday, it's on three days that he's dead, but it's not... Three whole, complete days. Yeah, it's only like 40 hours. Yeah. By the way, Scott, we only know about Jesus' life 30 to 40 of his days. Out of his, out of his whole life, 33 years, we really only know about 30 to 40 of his days. And yet we more recorded about the last seven days of his life than all the rest of the time. So it's just really special to to kind of see how the gospel writers and the apostles really focused on the last week. As much as we love all those other events that we have, which are very few compared to his history and his ministry, we have, there's a lot recorded on, on this, the events of this last week. Anyway, early in the morning, early it says, he comes forth, angels there to announce that he is risen. When, when, the women come and and Mary stays behind and and the tender experience of him 
saying to her, hold me not. I know in the King James Version it says, touch me not. In the JST that was changed to the hold me not. Apparently she embraces him. And he says, Mary, you, you got to let me go. I, need, I haven't ascended to my father yet. And she runs and tells the disciples, and Peter and John come running back, and all that's recorded in John 20. And then, then later that evening, he appears to the, ele- to the ten apostles, because Thomas is absent, and Judas has committed suicide. And, and then we have all of those, and we just talked about the resurrection not long ago, yeah. Scott, and all of, the, all of the testimonies, all of the witnesses, eyewitnesses, that we have of the of the resurrection and i'm just so grateful so grateful i tried to pray this morning and express my gratitude scott for the this season this easter season and i i again just really felt the spirit of the lord bear witness to me that these events are true they are they are not only historical facts but they are spiritual truths that not only determine who we are and our true worth that God would give us and sacrifice his son and that Jesus would lay down his life for us. They not only testify of our true worth, but they change our whole perspective of life, the value of life, the purpose of life, and who we may become. I, I just, I really hope that our listeners, if they will celebrate Easter Sunday, Easter week, all week, if, if, we, if we can do this right as individuals and families, yep. it, can, it can be the, the, the most powerful week of the year and the most life-changing week of the year. And I really hope and pray that that, that may be true. And I, I want to wish all of our listeners a happy, happy Easter. And may the Spirit of the Lord be with you individually and with your families as we remember the events of Easter. We've talked about often uh, the reason that we uh, the atonement's necessary, the atonement of Jesus Christ is necessary, is because of the fall. We, we, and we've talked about how the fall has brought about two problems in our lives. The first one is, is that we have a spiritual separation from our heavenly father, spiritual death. The second one is, is that we suffer physical death. And, you know, and a lot of times when we just say physical death, we can move on. And I don't think that encapsulates the true meaning. So when we talk about physical death, what I mean by that is depression, anxiety, Mm -hmm. addiction, um, hopelessness and all of the physical maladies that come as well, whether they be, you know, whatever they may be. Emotional, physical, spiritual, mental, all of the negatives. All of that comes because of the fall. All of that is also taken care of, covered because of the atonement of Jesus Christ. As we go through this week and as we accept your invitation, David, to go through each of those events and consider the importance and the the personal application that they may have in our lives. I invite us to bring those things that the fall Mm. uh, puts in front of us on a daily and sometimes on a minute by minute basis. I'm working with a young man in recovery right now who is dealing with depression and anxiety, the likes of which I have never seen. Mm. I just have never seen it. And, and I know that it's only through the atonement of Jesus Christ that those things may not be cured necessarily, but can, net, but can be dealt with in a way that Heavenly Father will allow us with more grace and ease to deal with because of the events of the atonement of Jesus Christ. Peace. My, My peace, peace I give to you. My peace I leave with you. So my invitation is, is as we go through that exercise, I hope we do. I'm going to. I do it every Easter I have for the last several Easter's. But as I do that, I'm not just going to go through a spiritual academic exercise. I'm going to go through a healing process in areas of my life that are still not in complete alignment with my Heavenly Father. So that's my invitation to each of us. 
happy Easter, everybody. May, may you understand and know the importance of the things that are going on this week as we approach Sunday um, and, and celebrate Friday first and then uh, Thursday night, really, uh, through Sunday and celebrate all of the events of the Atonement of Jesus Christ. We look forward to being with you again. Uh, thanks for being with us today. Please know that he loves you and you have been redeemed through his blood. Thanks for being with us. Thank you.